Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Mason Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that remains on air despite numerous letters from concerned parents. I am Jared Stormer of MasonBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MasonBrew.com. Andy, you glistening sculpture of both marble and flesh. How the hell are you? I'm doing well, man. It really helps during COVID to hear your voice again, so it's good to be back again. It's the little things that are keeping me propped up as well, my friend. And talking about football is one of those things. Kind of just forget that the world sucks for a while. Yeah, I mean, football is just kind of an idea right now that doesn't really fully exist yet. It's not tangible. It's like tomorrow. It doesn't really exist yet, but here's the hoping. We kind of assume that it will happen. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, There is some news on that front, though, while we're on the subject. Uh, Just today, the Big Ten came out and said that they are looking at doing only a conference slate, uh, which would make the Michigan schedule somehow more difficult, I think, in my opinion. Um, And then there's also been some rumors swirling about picking up other conference opponents. So uh, what do you think about going down to only conference opponents? Do you think that's going to make any difference? Uh, I guess it could limit travel. Like you're not traveling as far. I mean, people from out of town aren't traveling as far either. I don't know. This just feels honestly like a small step to try to keep the hope of having a season alive. Maybe they can make a, some sort of bubble in the Midwest. But I don't know what that does to those in Piscataway or College Park, Maryland. Right. But it feels like we're delaying the inevitable of the cancellation. But I'm here for it as long as we can have some football. I don't know how much of an impact it's actually going to have, though. What do you think? Yeah, it seems to me you you nailed it there where you said they're just kind of biding time trying to still hope that a football season can happen. It just seems incredibly unlikely to me because all it takes is one school to say, we're not doing this, um, and then that has a ripple effect. So I would have to imagine that it's not going to happen in the fall. Maybe we could get lucky with a spring season. But you and I were talking about that offline. What does that look like? Are you wrapping up in May or June and then going right back into fall camp? I I have no idea how it would work. It just it condenses two seasons. Everything goes on top of each other. You have the NFL draft. You have a myriad of factors, graduations. I mean, I don't know how you handle eligibility all the way through this. I It just creates more and more problems. Like you said before, there's a ripple effect, and that extends to any decision they ultimately make, unless it's in the fall. Right. Uh, so I'm in 
grad school right now and there's a big discussion going on about what the fall is going to look like for going back to school. And uh, one of my administrators said that a lot of places are literally waiting on football to see what they do. Like that's how big of a deal the football thing is because they're almost basing the fall schedule around football in some places, obviously like Antioch college or Harvard probably isn't going to care what football decides to do, but places like the big 10 and the sec where football is life. I mean, there, it plays a big role in what's going to happen overall in the fall, what football decides to do here. Yeah. When Morehouse college announced they weren't going to have sports this year or football, it's like, Oh man, uh-oh, really really worried about this one. But once the Ivy League as a whole started to announce that they're not going to have sports, that starts to change things. We're getting into bigger schools. And like you said, if we get into a, a group of five and then a power five conference that makes that decision, then we should all sweat. Yeah. Also, I mean, uh, the governor of Michigan has been pretty clear with what her uh, guidelines are for reopening. And if it's not any better than it was, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, and you know, you can have whatever opinions on that you want, you know, we're not here to really talk about what you should or shouldn't do. Um, but at the same time, we don't want, or I don't want to see football being the reason there's a huge, huge spike. And a spike feels inevitable with this situation because how do you quarantine a college? How do you keep these players from one player going from a party, going to travel to see a girlfriend back at home, doing this, doing that? It just seems like there are way too many variables in the equation to make this work. The NBA is having this problem, and it's a much smaller sample because there's only 16 teams going to Orlando. This is, I mean, I mean more than that, I think maybe 20. But you're asking conferences of hundreds and hundreds of kids and colleges of thousands of students to do this. I, it just seems like failure is inevitable. Yeah, exactly. And with the NBA, you've got, you know, grown adults that are making a lot of money. It's a little bit different for them. Um, not to mention there's only, what, 11 players on a basketball team. Yeah. You know, you got 11 staff members just on, like, the defensive side of the ball. It's, and like I said, one person gets infected and then could spread that to the entire team because it's not like you have non-contact football. It's not like you're not close. It's not like offensive and defensive linemen aren't breathing on each other on every play. Right. And, you know, even though younger people seem to be able to withstand it a little more, there are some people that can't. So it's it's just a mess, man. I'm not qualified to speak on it. I just, my opinion, we're probably not getting football in the fall, which breaks my heart in a million pieces. That's not going to stop us from talking about it, baby. Sure ain't. Sure ain't. And uh, last week, we went ahead with our summer draft. Uh, drafted up the teams uh, on the roster, and we sent that to the fans for a vote, and the fans have answered um, pretty resoundingly. How bad was it? 79% to 21% in favor of me on that one. Somebody asked if I was trying, and it really hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I don't think your roster is that bad at all. I don't think it was that big of a gap. Um, I don't really know what people were seeing that made it so clearly in my favor. But uh, one thing that's going to help you is Harbaugh came out last week and said that Jalen Mayfield looks, quote, phenomenal. And if he is a first round draft pick and you've got Hutchinson and Mayfield on your team, potentially two first round draft picks, that should change how people look at this. I would feel great with it. And if we have a season, if we do. It's going to play out. All of you are going to eat crow. It's, I'm just telling you, it's coming. This isn't the first year we did the draft when I just had to dig through the depth chart to find a third-string center. <laughs> it wasn't as bad finding a third-string center this time around, but in years past, it's it's been rough. I picked someone named like Joel Williams who like sells insurance with State Farm now. Yes, yes, he does. Um, but, man, is he good at it. <laughs> three, three months running. Three months running. Joe Williams, thank you for losing the first game for me. But, no, the draft is fun. We're obviously going to keep doing this for years to come. And we'll see how it plays out if we have football. And if not, then I'll, we'll have to concede victory. Yeah, literally all it would take was is one thing. Uh, if Joe Milton wins the starting job, your team's immediately better than mine. That, that would be very – that would be joyous news. Yeah. Maybe for you, uh, we, we'll see what it means for the team. But uh, we are going to continue talking football, whether or not there is a season, because we like to do it. And maybe this can provide some sort of distraction that is at least sports oriented for you. We hope so. That's the aim, at least. So this time we want to look at the roster more at a position group 
rankings here. So we want to talk about, uh, we can go strongest to weakest, weakest to strongest, or we can kind of just go through them and rank them however you want to do it, man. Let's do weakest to strongest, and we'll kind of unveil them as we go. I think that's probably a good way to go. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get it started, my friend. Where do you see the weakest position group? I think we're probably going to agree on this one. Uh, weakest position group, although there's you know three players ish here that have experience, and one two year starter coming back has to be defensive tackle. We're anchored there by Carlo Kemp, who has been very productive, very good at stopping the run. Chris Hinton in his second season, and you get into reserves like Mozzie Smith, Jess Spate, the accountant's brother, uh, Phil Paya, and maybe even some Julius Welshaw. Maybe the Colossus of Rhodes moves inside to get some playing time since we'll get down to the log jam and other positions. But it has to be this one. Not not a lot of returning strength there, not a lot of depth either, and a lot of question marks. I agree. I put D-tackle as the weakest position group. I was stunned when we didn't bring in a transfer here at this position. I thought that was going to be something that they sought out, uh, especially since there was guys from Stanford that were eyeing Michigan at the D-tackle position that would have came in and helped a ton. Um, the reason I put this as weakest is not because of the starters. I'm fine with Hinton and Carlo Kemp. Um, it's because of what you said after that. Um, and Hinton's relatively unproven, too. So you've got one starter on the D-line that you're like, okay, I, I feel comfortable Carlo Kemp can hold his own. Is he a game wrecker like uh, Maurice Hurst? No. No, he is not. He is a solid Big Ten defensive tackle. Chris Hinton could be great, and you're kind of hoping for it. You almost need Chris Hinton to take a Cam McGrone-like leap this year. It has to happen. It just, he looks like a grown man already. The man is massive at over 300 pounds, and he, he was a five-star, wasn't he? He was a five-star, correct. So he's got the potential there. We only saw a little bit last year, so we definitely can't write him off. But, like, to your point, it what's what comes after them. Defensive tackle has been a position of injury. Even Donovan Jeter is still around somewhere, so. <laughs> yep, good point. Not to put him on the list. Uh, he'll probably see time before Jeff Spate, to be honest. And he'll probably be injured the third week of August. I mean, not, not to be condescending, but it always happens, so. Yeah, it, it does. And if one guy goes out on the D tackle, if a guy goes out for the season on the defensive tackle position, we are in serious trouble. Yes, a lot is riding on this. They would have to change the scheme, uh, go to um, a, a variation of like a 3-4 or something like that with some athletes. So, yes, losing one player here could just kill the whole position group. Because we saw Carlo Kemp is good, has a great quick step, is good at stopping the run but can get overwhelmed by the bigger offensive guards and centers. Yes, definitely. And not much of a uh, penetrating defensive tackle either, whereas uh, I like to bring up Mo Hurst, one of my favorite D tackles of all time, uh, is a guy that's going to get you some pressures. I don't know how much pressures you can expect from Carlo Kemp from the inside. No. You can take us to the next group. Uh, my opinion, which is the problem with going to a 3-4, is that the next weakest position group is linebacker. How do you see it? I'm with you. I, I am with you. I think there's a toss-up here. We'll talk about the next group after this with them. We can maybe flip them, but it seems like it has to be this one. You have Cam McGrone, who had a great season last year, who took over for Josh Ross. So they yep. first you play the same position, so one's going to scoot over. And Ross is coming off a year where he was injured and battered up. And now we have a completely unproven Viper position in Michael Barrett. Likely Michael Barrett, maybe Anthony Solomon. Either way, it's a new player. Cam McGrone uh, was hot, hot in the middle of last season. I mean, he was a stud for us for a while. Um, cooled off a little bit towards the end, but I think you got to like what he's bringing, so you feel good there. Um, having Josh Ross and Cam McGrone on the field at the same time is almost essential, looking at this, um, even though they probably are best suited to both play the mic. Uh, I think you've got to have them both on the field. Um, so Josh Ross and McGrone, I feel fine with. That's that's a great linebacking core. Um, the problem is after that, Michael Barrett, unproven. Your key reserves, Osman Savage, Kalel Mullings, Anthony Solomon. I mean, we haven't seen any of them. We don't know what to expect. Some good names. Osman Savage is a dope name and also a bunch of four stars in there. Uh, good recruits. We recruited the position well. But if you lose, say, Cam McGrone, or if you lose Josh Ross, uh, this position group's going to be in some trouble. Osman Savage has to be the best name on the team. It's at least, it's running. It's in the running for first-round pick. I like him. I like Sammy Faustin. Um, yeah, I mean, he, Cade McNamara. Oh, that's, and plus he plays quarterback. That's the perfect quarterback name. That's part of it, yeah. Like Colt McCoy, 
Like you couldn't play corner with that. <laughs> but Savage playing linebacker. Beautiful. That that is. Um, yeah, man. Cam McGrone, Josh Ross, you feel great about those two on the field. But this is another position group that an injury could derail the season. The front seven of this defense has to be healthy, especially on the interior. So not even just like the seven, the five in the middle have to be healthy all season. And if one piece crumbles, you could see it have a domino effect up throughout and have teams run the ball on us. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if going into the season, people are looking at this lineup and saying that's probably the weakness of their team is up the middle. So we'll see how everyone adjusts um, in this front seven guys like Maisie Smith. And you got to find a backup linebacker that can play some snaps amongst those guys we just named. Anthony Solomon seems like he might be the first guy off the bench. Um, so you got to find somebody in there that can play. It's not just going to be three linebackers all year. You're going to see other linebackers. It's essential to get other players' experience back there, too, and you can kind of rotate some guys in. I believe Barrett saw a few snaps last year, and I think it's going to be essential, especially in defensive tackle, to maybe find a gym. Maybe is ready to take that step. Maybe we'll finally see it, and it could come. We need it. We please. Maybe Donovan Jeter's healthy this year. Maybe. You need somebody amongst the names we just said of those previous two position groups to take a McGrone leap. doesn't really matter who it is, but someone's got to take a leap. Which now brings us to another defensive group for our next position group, and that is cornerback. We have two returning players, Ambry Thomas, who's a returning starter, who battled colitis like an animal and just dominated it, had a ton of picks last year. Vincent Gray, who was third corner last season, now steps into the Levert Hill role. So we have players there with good experience. Behind them gets a little dicey, but there's talent there. Sammy Faustin, DJ Turner, Jermon Green have all been praised in practice at, di- at one time or another. And then you bring in one of our favorite players already, Andre yeah. Selden, the true freshman dog who's just bullying people at some of the football camps um, in the end of last season. So you feel good about the talent. You wish there's a little more experience there, but having two players that played in every game last year feels good. Yes, I agree with you. I think Ambry Thomas could have a uh, the best season we've seen at corner since Jordan Lewis. Um, super high on Ambry Thomas. A quietly good year last year. Vincent Gray got picked on a little bit towards the end, but showed enough that you feel pretty good about him. Has good size, good tackling instincts. Uh, what about at nickel corner? Who do you see starting there? That's a great question. <clears throat> I would lean... I want to lean Turner or Faustin just because of the experience in the system, having been there for a little while. I want to go Selden just because I love him so much. I, w- I want to adopt him, but <laughs> I think it's going to be Turner or Faustin. What do you think? I think you're right. Andre Selden is not built quite yet. I mean, he's, he's not super tall, doesn't weigh a lot, and uh, it's tough to come in and play corner as a freshman. Jordan Lewis did it a little bit, but that's about the last time I remember. I think maybe you saw LaVert Hill a little bit. as a fr- So it happens. You could see Andre Selden out there, but I have to imagine they're going to turn to DJ Turner next. That's the name I hear most as the third corner. Um, but he is, how big is DJ Turner? I don't have that information. I'll pull that up right now. Keep talking. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if he's better suited for the nickel, but I think he'll probably be the third corner that you see. After that, you're hoping that one of these Green brothers that have been on the roster for a little bit has made enough strides that he could play as well. Um, but you want somebody quick there in that nickel. We had Dax Hill there for us last year, and he, he played the position very well. So you want somebody that can run and stick? Maybe that is Andre Selden. I don't know. DJ Turner is 6 feet 180. That's a, that's a pretty big nickel corner. That, <laughs> that is a stout nickel, and Sammy Faustin is... 6'2", 195. Dudes are better suited for safety, to be honest, or at the outside boundary corner. That's not usually – your nickel corner is usually somebody a little bit quicker that can run in the slot with those guys. Let me see what Jermon Green is really quick. Maybe just our whole argument got flipped on his head because of size. Maybe so. Um, And and maybe that means it's it's Andre Selden's job to lose. But I think they'll go experience over um, potential. Yeah, very well. Uh, Yeah. one of them is 62180 and his twin <laughs> probably the same size i'm just guessing probably so yes <laughs> this is just insane all these corners are 62 like how how do we just end up with the biggest corners in college football 
I have no idea, man. Uh, another name, Iman Dennis, just got moved from athlete to corner. Oh, um, Iman Dennis is very quick. That's but he's got to learn the position. That is someone to keep an eye on for sure. I like that one because I mean, coming in, I thought he was going to play receiver, but that's a very yeah. deep position group as we'll get into. So that's that's a great move for him. So yeah, so that's why we've got corner a little bit lower is we don't even know who's going to play nickel and whoever it is is not going to have a ton of experience. Yeah, both Green brothers are six two one eighty. I would imagine they're the same yeah. as identical. <laughs> just check, just do you know being diligent here. So I guess we, we give the nod to Turner at six feet then. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Turner's the one that I'm picking, just kind of a name out of a hat at this point because I hear him mentioned by the coaches time to time. So. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Uh, who do you see next? What position group do you see as the next strongest position group? I already get over to a position group on offense that doesn't really need a ton of depth to have impact on the field, and that is tight end. We have two players with good experience coming back. Eric All with only one season. Nick Eubanks, feel like he's been at Michigan since you know, 09, and both are great. Luke Schoonmaker behind them. I feel really good about the talent here. I'm just concerned again, about the health because Eubanks tends to get a little banged up in the seasons. I know Gaddis wanted to use him a little more last year. All got some reps, even saw some time in the fullback position in alignments. So it'll be interesting to see, but the talent is there. I love both of these players. I do as well. Um, You and I are both high on Eric all where he could eventually end up as far as a player. Um, How good is Nick Eubanks? I wanted to ask you this question uh, because he's not quite the dangerous pass catcher that say Devin Funches was uh, not quite the blocker say Jake Butt was, uh, but is better than say Zach Gentry at both. So where does this guy fall as far as tight ends? That's a good question. I feel like, the way he progressed as a blocker last season did a lot for his stock moving forward. Oh, he's more, I would say he's more in the funchest range for me. I think he can make plays with the ball in the pass catching game. And he's coming along as a blocker, which helps him out. And is going to keep him on the field more and more like it did last season. But it's a hard place to fit him because he's right below both of them. But I'm not going to write him off until if we have this next season, like we're presuming we will. If he continues to progress in both aspects, he could fill right in the middle there. No one's above Jay Booty for me just because his nickname's Jay Booty. It's just, sure. it's he's a fantastic human being. But I definitely think he could be in that funchest range coming out of college. I really do. I could see it. He would need to improve on his pass catching. I don't remember have him having a ton of drops. Um, wasn't targeted a ton. Um, so it's hard to say how sure handed he is as a blocker. He's competent um, as a weapon. I think he could be a great weapon for us. I mean, his ceiling for this year could be really high. Um, not a guy that's being talked about a lot with Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell coming back, um, but could potentially be the third pass catching option. That wouldn't be the most surprising thing. No, not at all. And you saw Gaddis like to turn to him early and often last season and I'm pulling up his numbers now. I feel like he got a lot of targets and a lot of looks his way. So I hope it just continues to build that way, especially with the explosive talent around him. He could really open up the middle and the seams of the defense. Yeah. If he shows this year that he's a quality blocker, which I think he showed a lot of last year and his touchdown and catches go up, this is probably an NFL tight end. Yeah. The way his blocking progressed is what surprised me because he always seemed like the guy that he wants to flash, but doesn't want to get dirty. And Maybe George Kittle changes the position group by making blocking sexy again for tight ends, but whatever it was, it clicked with Eubanks last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Luke Schoonmaker is your reserve. Um, Eric All comes in as the first guy. Uh, you saw him on the field a little bit last year. Didn't do a ton as far as pass catching, but showed that he can block. And I think that's what you need to do first as a tight end just to get on the field. Uh, the pass, The passing targets will come with that. Eric All's numbers are going to go up this year, I anticipate. Um, I mean, that's easy to do with what he had last year. So I feel good about one and two at the tight end. If Shoemaker has to come in, you're not panicked, but there's a drop-off. There is a drop-off, but it's not as significant as other groups like defensive tackle or even linebacker. Right. You, you feel he's confident. He scored a touchdown before, hasn't he? I believe so. I seem to remember him catching a few balls last year. Not a ton, yeah. obviously. But yeah, I, I've seen him on the field. I know that, so... 
tight end, a position that's in pretty good shape, and you don't really need to panic too much about it. Uh, we don't know how much they're going to be used when Gaddis has a full season. He might want to get more targets to guys like Giles Jackson and Mikey Saner still, more so than Eubanks. So we'll see. Um, it'll A lot will depend on um, you know how much Gaddis wants to use him. So, um, yeah, before we, uh, before we go into the next position group, take a quick break. Sounds good to me, bro. Let's do it. Need, need to rest uh, up, refuel. I need to rest up, refuel, and we'll come back and we'll finish strong right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are going through our position group breakdown, ranking them from weakest to strongest as we see fit, based on nothing but our opinions, started with defensive tackle. Uh, from there, we ranked it as linebacker, then corner, then tight end. Uh, unfortunate that the three weakest position groups are all on the same side of the football. But that's just the way that it is. Uh, I want to give you this hypothetical, and I may have given this to you before. It's possible. Uh, but if you could bring back one player for next season, are you taking Maurice Hurst, Dad Rudock, or Devin Bush? Oh, man, just the trio of people we love to just talk about and always bring up in any form of conversation. Yep. Um, this is so tough. Devin Bush is a missile and does change things, but I feel like the drop-off is not as great from Heat and McGrone as it is from Mo Smith to Carlo Kemp and company. So... I'm going to go ahead and rule him out. I like the linebacking core. They need some depth. Obviously, if you offer me Devin Bush in any other situation, I'm taking the man. But all of this, put all of it aside because I want the sexy pick. I want the guy that's going to come out here with weapons. I want the guy that's going to throw the ball 45 damn times a game in this offense. Throwing it to everybody. He probably threw the ball to Chris Evans. He's been there you know, since 2012. Um, so I want the sexy pick. I want Dad Rudock. As I may have said to you before, it's daddy time. Jesus. Yeah, I'm super uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, I guess you probably have said that to me before. I don't think that Dad Rudock has been called a sexy pick at any point in his life. I'm pretty <laughs> an equivalent of a New Balance shoe or a polo shirt bought at TJ Maxx. <laughs> that being said... The Gaddis offense does not require a mobile quarterback. Uh, if you look at what he did at Alabama, uh, granted he had Tua there, um, but they threw the ball a lot. And I think Gaddis would probably rather have an accurate arm than he would have a super mobile quarterback. But I'm taking Mo Hurst for this because of where we rank defensive tackle and because I think Dylan McCaffrey has the potential to be the best quarterback in the Harbaugh era. There's no wrong answer here. Um, surprising neither of us took Devin Bush. Not a knock on Devin Bush for the love of God. Uh, just I don't think he would help this team. I don't think he gets us another win. Jake Rudock or Maurice Hurst probably gets us another win. Remember the NFL draft we did and you took Devin White over him? You traitor. I remember that. 
I'll never forget it, and you'll never let me forget it. <laughs> Any chance I just throw that in your face? We'll be yeah. in a random argument about Nico Collins getting bodied by Jeff Okuda, and I'll just be like, Devin White! <laughs> You're going to be giving a speech at my wedding and bring it up. Yeah, it's like you've made a lot of bad decisions in your life, like taking Devin White over Devin Bush in a mock draft on our podcast, but this woman is not one of them. To Jared. <laughs> <laughs> there'd be crickets in the audience by the way they'd be like who the hell are these people like why is this man so drunk it is nine in the morning <laughs> <laughs> this is a rehearsal <laughs> this isn't even jared's wedding sir <laughs> <laughs> this is an arby's <laughs> oh my god all right man you want to take us into the next position group um, this one's a little controversial if you rank it the same way that we have it ranked here in the dock but take us in yeah so we Previously, with other position groups, have used returning starter experience, lack a combination of depth behind them with talent, proven talent, unproven, just when they've recruited the positions. We're throwing all that out the window. So we're going back. We're just going back to whatever we want to do at this point with our subjective list. It is the quarterback room. We're going with a combination of Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton, and the strength of Cade McNamara's name. <laughs> it is just his name at this point, but what a quarterback name. And I like quarterback here personally, uh, because are you going to say that you feel better about the tight end group being dynamic than you do being the quarterback position? The quarterback position has a chance to be dynamic with either of the first two options. So that's why I rank it a little bit higher defensive tackle. There's almost no way that's going to be a dynamic position group unless Hinton and probably Maisie Smith take a huge step up. You know what you're getting with Carlo Kemp. There is some unknown here with the quarterback position, which is why this could be controversial, but you've got to feel good about Harbaugh bringing in such talent, having some years to develop them, a solid offensive line in front of them, running back and receiver help. The quarterback that comes in is in a position to succeed. So I like quarterback being here. The depth of it is great. And you like both your first two options. There's a legit competition going on and whoever wins, people are going to be excited about it. Absolutely. And these are both quarterbacks that Harbaugh recruited, brought in, and has been developing since he got there. This will be the first time that happened because he, Jake Rudock, Shea Patterson were both transfers. Wilton Spate, the accountant, was not his guy. Brandon Peters gone. And last, like I said, Shea Patterson was a transfer last season. Now, if you think the daddy jokes are going to die, you just wait until Cade Mac Daddy McNamara takes over the starting job in a few years. I'm furious. He's going to have to battle it out with J.J. McCarthy, who looks like a stud coming to the team here soon. So. Either way, there's a Mac there, so Mac Daddy will live. And that's unfortunate, but <laughs> I guess I don't really have much I can do about that. <laughs> but, um, but to our point of projection here, we've been seeing a lot about both these quarterbacks, and there's a great video on YouTube breaking down all the throws they've made in their careers. And what really separated it for me with uh, McCaffrey especially was when he stepped into the Notre Dame game two years ago on the road, everything against his back, and he delivered. He didn't break the game wide open or anything like that, but he was more than serviceable. And that was two seasons ago. Then you have the flashes like Wisconsin or games last season as well where it's like, oh, okay, this kid is special, can run, can throw. And then you get Milton stepping in the game and slinging the rock around. So we've seen enough to have us excited for whoever steps in. And with that offensive line in front of them, you don't need too much back there to succeed. I agree. And with Run DMC, the threat of running gives you some interesting options. I mean, if neither of these guys can complete a pass longer than 15 yards, I really doubt that, by the way. I think you'll find one of these guys can pass. Uh, you could run some type of Colin Kaepernick in the 49ers Super Bowl run type of offense where Dylan McCaffrey is one of your primary runners. And that's going to be a problem. The kid is fast. He's not Christian McCaffrey fast, but he is fast. Yes, deceptively fast, especially for his size and his length. I think the stride throws people off at how fast he really is. Huge, long strider, absolutely. Doesn't look like a, like he's moving that fast, but he's separating from linebackers. He's quick. His biggest issue is just keeping him healthy. If he is factored in the run game, he needs to know how to go to the ground like Lamar Jackson does with the Ravens. You can run the ball, but you just have to know when to take hits how to take hits, and when to get down or get out of bounds. Absolutely. So I'm high on the position group. Obviously, we both are. We ranked it above some position groups that have returning starters. 
Um, so I'm fine with this. We'll see. Maybe if you don't like it, bring it up in the comments. That's completely fine. Um, I'll take us to our next one, which is strong at the top, like you'll see a lot throughout this team. But then once again, a drop off, and that's defensive end, where we've got all Big Ten, all world, I think a future first round draft pick if he gets over double digit sacks, and Aiden Hutchinson, and Quiddy Pay on the other side, who is maybe like a less athletic Frank Clark, is kind of what I've always compared him to strong, physical, disciplined, been there for a while, knows the system, gonna be a good player. Um, I think neither of these guys ends up below second team, all Big Ten. So that is quality at the starter position. After that, it gets a little dicey. You get into the David Ojabos of the world, who we're both really high on. High on, yeah. And we think he could be the Uche guy this season to really break out as the big rusher. You get into the Taylor Upshaws, who's been the project. You could bring back uh, Julius Welshoff. If you don't want to move him inside, you put him here. He, uh, we've always heard great things about him that he has great bend. So <laughs> however that translates here, you have the freshman stud Braden McGregor and you have the Luigi Villain and Luigi Villain truthers that are still holding out hope in the ninth year of him. So I hope it works out for him. A lot of talent here, just all, all very unproven and very raw. I'd like to think that you're going to hit on one of Ojabo, Upshaw, or Villain. That's what I'm thinking. Braden McGregor's going to hit. He's coming off an ACL. We'll see if he's ready. If this gets pushed back to spring, I imagine he will be ready. And I would see, probably imagine Braden McGregor moving up on this depth chart. Um, but I think you'll get one of Ojabo or Valane to be a contributor. Um, particularly, you and I are both high on Ojabo. But the fact of the matter is that having a potential first-round pick in Aiden Hutchinson makes this a strong position group. Yeah, that alone ain't really weights this position group towards the top. And Quiddy Paycock needs to have that next step. Last season, he played well. The numbers don't really indicate his regression as much as you would think by watching him play. But after watching all the games, he didn't break out like we thought he was. So if he breaks out like we thought he was last season, this coming season, then this group could go even higher on the list. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you get somebody stepping up like that Cam McGrone leap we talked about a little bit ago, if that happens with Ojabo or Upshaw Verlaine and you can't keep them off the field, Aiden Hutchinson could maybe move inside. He's a massive human. Aiden Hutchinson is just a pure football player. He reminds me of like, he's like the Andrew Luck of defense, where it's like this guy just eats, sleep, breathes football all the time. Yeah, I get the same impression from him. He's just a player on the field. Uh, he knows where to be. Had a couple pass breakups last year where he was getting into passing lanes. He's 6'6". He's a monster. So super high on Aiden Hutchinson, and really that's the reason defensive end is that high. I think he's an all-Big Ten player this year. If not all-American. Yeah, it's possible. Right, moving on next to maybe a surprise to some people because I don't think people really know the depth of this position. That is offensive line. I'm just going to read you names, Jared. Please Ra do. Ryan Hayes, Andrew Stuber, Jalen Mayfield, Nolan Rumler, Zach Carpenter, Chuck Filiaga, Trevor Keegan, Carson Barnhart, Andrew Vastardis, Zach Zinter, Joel Honingford, and Reese Atterbury. That's a lot of names. A lot of those dudes, four-star and above. Uh, picked by Ed Wariner. Ed Wariner's proven track record. Let's start how we see the starters going. And I know you and I differ on this a little bit um, based on our draft. I've got it left to right. Ryan Hayes, Andrew Stuber, Zach Carpenter, Chuck Biliaga, Jalen Mayfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I am Ryan Hayes. I am Chuck Biliaga, Andrew Vastardis, Andrew Stuber, Jalen Mayfield. Not far off either way. Uh, the reason that I ranked this position group when I was uh, filling out the doc and you agreed to was uh, the quote that Harbaugh had about Jalen Mayfield looking phenomenal. Uh, this is stemming basically from the last time we saw him. Um, well, we saw him against Alabama too, where he held his own once again, but against Ohio state against the absolute monster that is chase young, he more than held his own. And that's why you're seeing him in discussions as a first round pick. Uh, the fact that you're getting Harbaugh backing it up saying he's a phenomenal player this might be a stud left tackle that we have. And if that's the case, the best left tackle we've had since Mason Cole. Uh, and then you might go back to Taylor Lewan even. Uh, that's the kind of potential that he has. And if you've got a first-round draft pick left tackle, uh, 
this is a strong position group. It's been recruited well, and I'm an Ed Werner stan. Do you think they're going to kick him to left? It's difficult to say. Hayes is better built for the left. Uh, so I've got Hayes at left. I've got Mayfield at right. But at the same time, you want your best player at that left. Uh, is McCaffrey left-handed or right-handed? Right. Okay, he's right-handed. So you probably want your best player on the blind side. So maybe you do put Mayfield over there at the left and Hayes at the right. Either way, I like what we got at tackle. There's just so much talent among those two. And even Andrew Stuber, who has a massive amount of experience at right tackle. So he, Hayes, and Jalen Mayfield, just the combination of those three, wherever they are on the offensive line, is what gives this unit the strength and the high ranking that we give them. And all the names behind them are just, like you said, talent-laden, high-star recruits that can that deserve this spot no lower. For so many years, early on, like in 16 and 17, we were just complaining about, we, we, we need linemen, we need linemen, we need linemen. We have them again, and it's so refreshing to see. It really is. I remember uh, the first year that we did this, we did a similar exercise going through position groups, and offensive tackle was the worst. And we were lamenting that Harbaugh didn't recruit one uh, his first year when he came here. Um, so coming into the 2016 season, we weren't strong at tackle. I think 2017, same deal. They have made it a point, and they have developed talent there. And now you've got guys that are being talked about as, like I said, first-round picks. And it's going to show, I believe. I think Andrew Stuber is going to be a player for us. So that's three players I feel confident about on the offensive line. Uh, center and maybe right guard, left guard, whichever one Stuber doesn't take is where you have question marks. Uh, but Zach Carpenter, highly recruited. Reese Atterbury, recruited primarily as a center, was like the number one or number two center in the country. So you've got guys there that can fill in, just need to get Ed Werner's hands on them, uh, let him make his impact, and I think we're going to be just fine on offensive line. Couldn't agree more, man. I'm. This is the most I've been excited about an offensive line since probably last season. <laughs> we had Ruiz and all those guys coming back as well as Ben Bredesen. So it yep. feels good to have this happen in back-to-back seasons. And despite losing, we lost three – how many linemen we lose from last season? Uh, we lost Anwenu to the NFL, Cesar Ruiz to the NFL, Ben Bredesen, and John Runyon, all drafted. Losing four or five linemen, and we still have that position group this high. That's how well it's been recruited. I agree with you. It's maybe the biggest change. Um, Ed Werner, you keep him at all costs. I mean – Offensive line's been a bit of a problem. You'll have guys come through. You're like, oh, Mason Cole's really good. Uh, but then the rest of the line is just in shambles. Now, left to right, it's pretty solid. And top three offensive lines in the Big Ten, I think, is pretty fair to say. I, I'm in complete agreement. And we can't lose Ed Werner's chin strength in the coaching room. Uh, you cannot. That chin takes up two seats in the meeting room, and they deserve both of them. <laughs> it deserves three. <laughs> Give him another seat for the chin. <laughs> All right, brother, what do you got next? We're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Next is a sneaky group because of the experience and the talent, and that is safety. It's a smaller position group, only two on the field at a time, and both starters are back. So, or No, not both starters because we lost Josh Metellus last season, but Dax Hill played a ton, especially from slot and then to the back with injuries. But we bring back Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins. Brad Hawkins might be the most underappreciated player on this team. Agreed. He's just, he's been consistently good. He had a few mistakes two years ago that people still hold against him, but safety is really hard to play in this defense, and he does a great job. And Dax Hill's talent, the the last thing he'll be remembered for is giving up that Jerry Judy touchdown when he got stuck one-on-one with him. Just believe that. Dax Hill's going to be a stud. Dax Hill will absolutely be a stud. He was a true freshman next year, Jerry Judy's catching touchdown passes in the playoffs yeah. i mean jerry judy's an absolute stud and dax hill stuck with most guys that he was on and i'll bet if you asked him next year to stick with jerry judy he could probably do it pretty well uh, from the safety position too played a lot of nickel for us last year fast hits hard nose for the ball um, but i want to backtrack to brad hawkins a little bit because i completely agree he is the most underappreciated player on this defense he got better as the season went along. He puts himself in position to make plays. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. There are some mistakes, but you're not going to look back at last year and blame Brad Hawkins for a lot of errors. You're just not. He's in a good place. 
Uh, I'm high on the safety group. And another reason I'm high on it is because we're bringing in the best safety class I've ever seen, to be honest. uh, Jordan Morant, RJ Moten, and Makari Page, all four high four stars, all of them dogs. Some of these guys might get moved around a little bit. Um, And you don't necessarily want to see those guys out there at safety this year. But studs, studs in the making. We've got Dax Hill for at least another year after this. Uh, Hawkins, I believe, is a junior. He came in as a receiver, redshirted, to, I think, a junior. So we might have another year of this safety tandem. I'm pulling him up right now. Yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind. I think we're going to get another year of Hawkins after this. And uh, for a converted receiver, Brad Hawkins has exceeded my expectations. Another reason why you got to be high on, like, the Iman Dennis switch to corner. If you do it early and you, they see that in this guy – this, this staff has shown the ability to change positions and put someone in a position to make an impact. No, this is Brad Hawkins' last season. This is Brad Hawkins' last season. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's unfortunate, but you're going to lose Brad Hawkins and then one of those three stud safeties we got coming in. So this year, high on this position group. Um, you almost wish Dax Hill could stay at nickel and you had another guy back there at safety so that you could get Dax Hill in coverage a little more. Um, because like we said, corners a little iffy, especially nickel, but I love the safety position. I think that this is going to be the best overall safety position we've had since Lloyd Carr was there. I, I agree completely. The trio of talented freshmen you named off is just ridiculous. It was like day after day. It's like oh, another four-star safeties coming to Michigan, right? Uh, one fun Brad Hawkins stat. He's appeared in 37 games at Michigan. That's what I'm saying. Underrated, underappreciated, undervalued, but a stud. I would say probably the potential to be better than Josh Metellus ever was like this year. He may have been better last year than Metellus was. Yeah, very much so because he stopped giving up the big play as much as Metellus still was last season. Yeah, so we're both high on Hawkins. Both, obviously, you can't not be high on Dax Hill. He's a stud for us. So I think that the back end of our defense is, is fine for the foreseeable future. Now let's get into the sexy picks here, the explosive positions, the ones that get all the glitz and glamor and the ones that Michigan is littered with talent. Yes. And this is, this has to be a first for a Michigan team. You go back in the annals of history and you look at what Michigan has done. Well, it's usually defenders, offensive linemen running back. um, But we are loaded at skill positions this year. And that starts with, and you can go back and forth on these. I would rate it, because we're down to the last two, I'd rate it wide receiver next. How do you feel about that? I'm 100% with you in this one. We bring back Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell, both the top two leading receivers in yards and catches from last season. Bring back Giles Jackson in the slot, who was playing most games last year as age 17 and just got (laughs) better as the year went on. Mikey Sainrichel, who really had a breakout year, Cornelius Johnson, who had a touchdown against Michigan State. Uh, I always mess up Nate's last name. Shanley. 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 Wish some people could spell phonetically. And (laughs) highly touted recruit A.J. Henning. So this is a position group that, at the top, you look at Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell. Nico Collins could be the best receiver in the Big Ten next year. He'll be right up there with Chris Olave and the cat from Minnesota. Um Oh my God, his name escapes me, but he'll be, he'll be a stud, the Minnesota wide receiver that's coming back. But then it's Nico, I think. He'll be top three. Um, closest thing we've had to Braylon Edwards, got better as the year went along. The fact that he didn't get targeted more early on in the season was a point of frustration for a lot of us, but they got wise to that and realized that this dude, if you just put it up there near him, he will body you and he'll go and get it. There's just... The only guy that really held him in check was all year was Jeff Okuda, and uh, yeah, he was getting there a little early on a lot of those. <laughs> he was. He was. He did body him, though. And Jeff Okuda was also a top-five draft pick in the NFL. So, you know, if you're going to have a bad game, it's not like he was having to get some slouch from Rutgers. Correct, yes. And Ronnie Bell as your wide receiver number two, uh, I think a great comparison is Chris Olave over at Ohio State. Possession receiver, sticks with his quarterback, finds a way to get open, finds the soft spots, knows what to do once he catches it. Sure-handed. We all know what happened at Penn State. We're going to forget about it. It was literally that instance. And then how many drops did you notice from Ronnie Bell after that one? 
Yeah, and it was a really heartwarming moment that everyone cheered him when he just made his first catch after that and could really put it behind him because I feel like it brought people behind Bell after that moment. And he was the one that just couldn't get in the end zone last year. He had all these catches and huge plays, and how many times did he get tackled inside the opponent's 10-yard line? It, it was bizarre. Um, uh, Anthony Broom and I did the, uh, while you were on hiatus, did the um, – projections for stats on who's going up or down the easiest pick of the whole thing was ronnie bell's touchdown total going up in your in this next coming year that is a lock there's no way that's going down like it has to go up the guy if you go back and watch his highlights on the michigan instagram page or on youtube over and over again he's just tackled inside the 10 inside the five it's it feels like a joke at a certain point it does, because he doesn't necessarily have crazy breakaway speed, say that a Giles Jackson or a Mikey Saner still does, but smooth, just a smooth route runner, a smooth receiver. I mean, the way he's taken to the position, I mean, they picked this dude up off the basketball court, wasn't even really playing football full time. And this he's just a great possession receiver, a little bit of explosiveness to him, reliable. I think he'll be whoever starts. He's going to be one of their favorite targets. So you got Nico and Ronnie Bell at one and two. In the slot, who do you see starting, Giles or Sanders still? I'm going with Giles Jackson just because of the late season emergence, how he really came on. But Jackson is just going to be labeled what the Jaguars labeled Denard Robinson when they drafted him. It's just going to be weapon because you can place him anywhere on the field and he's going to make an impact. He, lined up, he started lining up in the backfield and was used in the slot outside. Giles Jackson's just a weapon. I think he'll start inside uh, week one. I agree. You're going to see Mike Sainer still a lot, though, because you could do things where Giles Jackson is in the backfield and Sainer still is in the slot. That's a lot of speed. You could get Chris Evans, Giles Jackson, and Mike Sainer still on the field at the same time, and all of a sudden you've got problems trying to deal with that. Yeah, I don't know how linebackers can cover that. You just can't match up, and that's what Gaddis likes to do. He wants to put defenses in positions of conflict. Yes, absolutely. And at wide receiver, you're going to have the options to do that. So, yeah, starts with Nico Collins, but then you've got names, names, names. Cornelius Johnson is not some sort of, like, slum here. Cornelius Johnson is a player. And I think if Nico goes down, he's probably your wide receiver one. He's got a little bit better size than some of these other guys. All good. So, uh, all right, well, that leaves the last position group right there, my friend. Uh, I'll take us into it, and obviously, by process of elimination, it is the running back position that we rank as the strongest room or group on this team. Uh, you know the names there. Uh, what do you think about running back being number one? You fine with this? Of course I'm fine with this. It's almost an insult that there's so much talent there. But let's name them off real quick. Zach Charbonnet. Yeah. Hassan Haskins, who took turns last year being the number one running back on the team, if you look at how the season played out. And then you bring back Chris Evans, who was scoring touchdowns against Hawaii in 2016. He's back. Giles Jackson's going to play back there. Ben Mason is also going to play some back there. And, oh, yeah, Blake Corum is coming to town. Absolutely. This, to me, you look at this, and it's an embarrassment of riches because if Charbonnet goes down, no problem. Haskins is your number one. Vice versa there. Uh, interchangeable if they both go down you've got your starter from a few years back I mean he was behind Karan Higdon but Higdon and Evans were basically sharing carries so you're bringing back I mean a starting caliber Big Ten weapon a little bit faster a little bit more elusive has shown he can catch the ball out of the backfield and that's your third back and then you're bringing in Blake Corum who everyone is high on looks a lot like Mike Hart plays a lot like Mike Hart um, oh yeah just put Giles Jackson back there if you want which I hope to see a lot of because it's going to provide matchup nightmares. So I don't know who your starter is, if it's Charbonnet or Haskins. I don't know if it matters, because they're probably going to split carries. I would say it's 1A Charbonnet, 1B Haskins, but at this point, it doesn't really matter. It's loaded. Did Haskins have the dominant game of last season, his performance against Notre Dame? Yeah, we ranked that last year, and we uh, I think we said Shea Patterson had the most dominant game against Michigan State. Uh, but Hassan Haskins against Notre Dame is right there with it. Uh, Ronnie Bell against Michigan State was a great performance last year, but Hassan Haskins owned the Irish last year. Watch that, uh, those highlights a few days ago uh, when I was bored and needed sports in my life, and man, he was a stud for us. The reason I ranked Charbonnet ahead of him, though, was Haskins did not have a good Ohio State game. A lot of people didn't, but Haskins in particular struggled. Yeah, because he missed that one cutback lane that was four yards open. <laughs> 
it was open. It was open four yards in the gap. Yes, beyond yes. that, there was nothing. It was a touchdown. There was nothing beyond him. Oh yeah, that hurt. That single handedly made him one B. Correct. I remember that, and I'm like, wow, there was a touchdown we left on the board, and it, that's tough. But Haskins, you got to remember, is a converted linebacker, still learning the position. Yeah, ha- yeah. Again, you talked about the positional versatility and the way the coaching staff can flip flop people back and forth. That's a big key. Haskins was the guy that did a lot of the work last year, but Charbonnet, what separates him from me to be the starter next year is just the kid has a nose for the end zone. He gets in there and gets dirty, can get all those extra little yards. I think they over overused him a little bit against Army early in the year. That's something they needed yeah. Haskins to step up. So hopefully this year it's a more even split from the get-go to keep them both fresh. He was barely healthy against Army last year, if you remember. He was coming off an injury. His best game of the season came against Alabama when he was fully healthy, and he looked like a stud running back against one of the better defenses in college football. So based on that, I think Charbonnet is going for over a grand next year. I hope so, man. First one since Higdon, and only the second one since Fitz Toussaint, so I'd love to see it. Yeah, I think it's very possible. The only reason it might not is because of the depth we're talking about here. I mean, if he doesn't, it's because Haskins is running for 750 himself and, or Chris Evans is running for 300 and taking some yards away. From I'm him. fine either way. I just love, I would love to see both running backs combined for over 1500. Very reasonable. And I think it'll happen. Um, it, it, another thing that might prevent that is the bevy of weapons at receiver. Maybe they want to get more of those guys involved, but this is a good problem to have. Like all the names that we just listed between wide receiver and running back, you want to see a lot of these guys get touches. Like Mike Sainerstrill, not listed as one of the starters. He needs to have touches. Chris Evans, not a starter, needs touches. Giles Jackson out of the backfield, that has to happen. Yes, Gaddis can get inventive with this, and I think he's had a lot of fun with all this extra time he's had to draw up places like where to stick different players, where to put Giles Jackson, where to put Chris Evans. The fact that Chris Evans is still on the team still feels surreal to me. It really does, but I mean, what a boon. I mean, that does not hurt your chances right there. You trust him. The dude can block. I mean, he's not the biggest guy, but he can block too, so you trust him there. Also, kudos to him for t- for being out for an entire season and coming back and getting this last opportunity. It would have been easy to just call it quits, but the dude went through the process, did what he have to, had to do, and is now back on the team. Uh, you'll see him next year. He's going to score some touchdowns. I could pretty much guarantee that. R.I.P. Chris Evans, uh, DoorDash jokes. But it it's crazy to think the last time he scored a touchdown was against Ohio State in 2018, right after they fumbled the kickoff. He ran out of the backfield and caught a beautiful little wheel route from Shea Patterson. I remember it well, and yeah, we still had hope back in those days. But uh, uh, real quick, though, where would you rank the special teams unit? High. I am, although kicker goes up and down, sometimes Quentin Ordine's going to mess around and hit one from 57. I love Will Hart at punter. I love the returners. I'd probably rank it right, probably above defensive end, right in the offensive line area. Before maybe. I, had it, I had it similar. I had it in between quarterback and defensive end. Yeah, it's up there. The kicker brings it down just because of the inconsistencies, but the punting's been great. Returning has always been good. And Michigan seems to rarely give up the big play defending the special teams. Yeah, a lot of blocks, too. We'll see if uh, somebody can step in and take over that Kalee Hudson role as the punt blocker, or the gunner on punt blocks. So, uh, But we also lost our special teams coordinator, who was a big part of that. So we'll see. I still rank special teams as being pretty high, so I'm with you there. I'm totally fine with that. So, um, yeah, brother, any final thoughts on this? I like that we have the sexy position groups up there. But it does worry me that the heart of the defense is towards the bottom. That's one thing that concerns me heading into 2020. It almost makes me think that this needs to be an offensive-led team and that we need to be scoring 30 points a game, especially early. Because now our schedule, if you're going based on what they said today, opens up with Wisconsin. Game one. Harder game than Washington, I think. We definitely owe them one. Yes. Oh, yeah. We got to pay them back for sure. But that's not going to be a gimme. Wisconsin is well coached. Um, So, I mean, our defense has got to be able to just be serviceable. You can't let them run the ball a bunch on you. And with defensive tackle and linebacker being the two weakest position groups, that's what I imagine a lot of people are going to try to do. Let's be so happy Jonathan Taylor's gone, though. 
that will help. I'm sure <laughs> you've got some other stud that's going to rush for 3,000 yards a year, I'm sure. But. Like, where, where'd this guy come from? Oh, he was a two-star somewhere in some BFE town in Wisconsin. Just going to run for two grand first year. Great. <laughs> yeah, this guy was working at a subway, and we found him, and he's going for two bills. <laughs> you like Jersey? You work at Jersey Mike's? Can you run the ball? You're starting week one, Michigan. <laughs> But Harbaugh has, to his credit, outside of Ohio State, has always been good at the revenge game. I think so, too. I like our chances at home against Wisconsin with this team. So um, that's going to do it for us here tonight. Uh, Please leave us comments. Let us know where we're wrong. Uh, We might not respond to them because uh, we think we're right, but we want to hear it anyway. And uh, we also do like to engage with the fan base for sure. So let us know what you're thinking. Um, I am on Twitter. Andy, are you even on Twitter anymore? I'm not on Twitter. You're, you're better off for it. I'm at oblue87. If you want to follow me on there, follow Mason Brew on Twitter at Mason Brew. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content where you get your podcasts by searching Mason Brew Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, Don't do it.